I'm Danica Juarez. And I'm Jan James. And this is How's It Hold Up? Hi, I'm Danica. And I'm Jan. And I'm Valerie. And today we watched Disney's The Sword in the Stone. Woo! <laughs> Who would like to give a brief spoiler-free plot synopsis of this movie? Gosh, I haven't for a million years, so I guess I can try. Uh, it, the story centers around uh, a little boy named Arthur, but he's called Wart. And really kind of his little quest to try to become something other than himself. He seems to be an, orf- an orphan, and he is uh, working as kind of a squire to... I can't even think of the, the people's name, but basically the son Kay of... and Yeah. Sir Ector. Sir Ector's son, Kay. Uh, and, you know, and and working as his squire, he does all of their washing dishes. He just has to do everything. But he is just a good-hearted, just puts his little heart into everything. Uh, along his little journey, he meets Merlin, who is expecting him. He doesn't know who he's expecting, but he does know that it that it's this little boy. He doesn't know the boy's name. And so Merlin mentors him, teaches him the way of the world through Super fun magic, um, polymorphing him into everything from a fish to a squirrel to a little bird. He also uh, comes against some adversaries. One is a funny one. is a poor scrawl, uh, scraggly wolf that keeps trying to eat him first as a little boy because uh, he's a very just little stick figure of a little boy. Very slight uh, young man. And then tries to eat him as a squirrel. Uh, and then he meets the... Uh, Magnificent, or I don't know. Marvelous Mad. The marvelous Madame Mim. Oh my gosh, she's great. And uh, it is great because Merlin and Madame Mim have a wizard's duel. And then ultimately, um, he finds his way into a a new calling. And you find out now why Merlin was supposed to mentor him at the end. What did we think of this movie? I just wanted to clarify. He wasn't a page. Mm. He was... Or he was training to be a squire. He was a page. Oh, you're right. Thank yes, you yes. so much. Kay is was was trying to be the squire. No, or wait, no. Uh, Wart or Arthur was trying to be a squire, so he got was it. training up to be. Got it. Right. Got it. Uh, but yeah, what do you guys think of this movie? I mean, yeah, it's. Uh, I think I was like, it's a it's a vibe. You're just kind of chilling. You have these fun different uh, scenes where. Arthur's animals. Um, I don't know. It's it's a good it's a good film. I really enjoyed it, and it, I haven't seen it since uh, since my daughter here watched it lots and lots and lots as a, a lot. child, and I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed it because along with what Valerie was saying, it was a vibe. It was just fun. It was it was fun and it was engaging, but it was but the villains were were fun, and it was it was just. It was just enjoyable from start to finish, honestly, for me. So I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it's a cute little movie. Um, it's it's very slight. Uh, the stakes are not very high. Um, the emotions never get all that intense. Um, but it's a it's a fun little ride. It, it is truly just kind of a vibe. I watched it a lot as a kid. Um, there are some scenes that kind of really stick with you um, when you're at an impressionable age, um, but. Yeah, it's it's a cute little movie. It's far from Disney's best, but it's certainly not their worst. Um, mm. It's it's just a cute little film. 
Yeah. Let's get specific. So uh, this movie is specifically based on the novel of the same name by T.H. White, which was first published in 1938 and then revised and republished in 1958 as the first book of White's Arthurian tetralogy, The Once and Future King. Mm. Uh, This was also the last animated film from Walt Disney Productions to be released in Walt Disney's lifetime. Jungle Book would have was that came after, I believe, um, was something that like Walt Disney was interested in and planned, but this was the last one like actually released before Walt passed. Oh goodness. So can you kind of say though, a lineup of where like did uh, Snow White? Before this, before this is 101 Dalmatians. And then after this, I believe is Jungle Book. Mm. But I mean, how many Disney uh, movies had been out by the time? Oh, quite a few. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. What you have like Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Bambi, Dumbo. Uh, Then you have all the the 40s wartime stuff that's mostly package films. Uh, Three Caballeros and so on. Uh, Then back to like full feature films in 1950 with Cinderella, um, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, etc. And uh, yeah, then then you get into the 60s, 101 Dalmatians was kind of the first one to kind of have this uh, Xerox method of animation and stuff that this one's following suit in. But yeah, this is I mean, it's it's late in in Walt's tenure, certainly, um, and kind of before before the period where they're really kind of scrambling with like, what do we do in his absence? So Mm, got it. But this this particular movie, the idea for it goes a long way back. Um, in February 1939, Disney announced that he'd purchased the film rights to White's The Sword and the Stone. However, following the outbreak of World War II, the studio focused instead on producing cartoons for the U.S. government and armed forces. Uh, then in June 1944, Disney assigned writers to work on The Sword and the Stone, along with Cinderella and Alice in Wonderland, uh, which came out in 1950 and 1951. So those... Those ended up uh, coming out way before. It continued to be announced the project was in active development throughout the late 40s and early 50s. In June 1960, Disney told the Los Angeles Times that following the release of 101 Dalmatians, two animated projects were in development, which were Chanticleer and The Sword and the Stone. Uh, Won't get into it too terribly much, but Chanticleer was a very troubled uh, production just like the idea stage and stuff uh a lot of the animators working there really wanted that one to be the movie that was picked to become a film um but ultimately disney wasn't happy with it and um many years after this but partially because disney never ended up making a chanticleer story uh we end up getting a certain don bluth film yeah. that does have its own take I on the chanticleer say, I story i had seen something yeah. with that okay <laughs> for better and worse <laughs> Goodness for better and probably mostly worse uh but we'll get to that when we get to that uh which will be this year it's already in the plans mm. anyways and I was going to say, I know that um, we'll get to this in animation, but was it a, is it a different style of animation, did you say? It's in the same vein as um, 101 Dalmatians and um, Jungle Book and stuff. It's traditional animation, but the, the process is kind of different from the earlier films. And I'll get more into that in animation. But yeah, okay. it's, it's uh, a method known as Xerox. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, well, I really like the story. You know, in fact, I just realized anytime I think of, 
which I love medieval times. I'm a D&D player, as all of us are. I, I just love, I know, I know, I know. I love all that mythology. And I just realized that anytime I think of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and King Arthur, you know, I think of this version. I mean, I think of the little boy who, you know, is is mistreated but has a little heart of gold and, and just works his little tail off. And then he pulls out the sword. I had completely forgotten about the circumstances, um, you know, so I won't get into that. But I just, you know, and it becomes, you know, King Arthur, you know, and of course they don't go into... It ends. This is the very you know, beginning yeah, of the story. But but yeah. But yeah, I just neat. I, I yeah, I mean it's it's a fun kind of cozy vibe, I guess, to me from the very beginning with the I I like the book opening and the really like um you, almost you just, Winnie the Pooh almost. Well, no, but the song mm. is is almost you just imagine like this this uh minstrel like sitting on a log, like strumming his mm-hmm. lute and just like belting out this song uh, and it's like it's cheesy but it's cute i enjoy it mm-hmm. um and then the but then some of the some of the beginning stuff for me uh not so much with merlin but more with arthur and Kay felt i don't know a little rushed um i i don't know what it quite was about that scene but it didn't feel quite like it had the room to breathe that it needed i i, I don't know exactly what i needed from it but it, it felt a little less than what I needed. I'd forgotten how much I absolutely love the character of Merlin. I mean, he's just, oh my goodness. He, you know, even though he is so talented and so smart, he is so bumbling and chaotic and, and, and messy. And oh my goodness. It's yeah. So, so almost like the vibe of this was just kind of this, this chaotic, it's almost like it, it it moved forward because things are being dropped and it's like yeah. it's just like fumbling and you're going forward and it yeah it was just fun uh i liked uh archimedes too he's mm. a grumpy little bird yeah. at one point he said in all christendom and so i wrote catholic archimedes <laughs> so i guess he's probably protestant yeah <laughs> i don't know if it's catholicism i just find, like the catholic person is a, a fun phrase that i've seen on the internet so that's the meme but he is probably protestant anyways <laughs> um i also liked his big hero moment saving arthur from the barracuda yes yeah yeah and then yeah and then him denying it then, oh yeah then, then trying to claim that, yeah, he was just going to eat him. And it was so great. I'm so Sundari about it. He's like, I refuse to acknowledge that I care about anybody. <laughs> um, Merlin occasionally says questionable things. Like when he yes. said, and a redhead at that about the squirrel girl. And I'm like, excuse me, Merlin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> excuse me, sir? <laughs> that whole scene, I think we'll probably talk a little bit more in another section, but it was very, he was a boy, she was a squirrel. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Very Pepe Le Pew, but a squirrel girl um, with, a, with a lot of it. But then also sad squirrel girl oh, and, a sad, and a sad face oh, for a little cries. Oh my gosh. Yes. It, it makes me feel things. Oh, um, no. It's very, it's, it's fraught, that whole scene, um, but it definitely like is the scene that sticks with me the most. Sure. Yeah. Having seen it as a child, it's very like, 
feeling a lot of things there. Everyone's kind of sad and bummed out. And then it just kind of ends That's it. on her, her her being sad. I know. And then we never see her again. Like, there's no resolution because sometimes you just don't get resolution I on know. heartbreak. You know? It's so sad. And that's, that's sad. And I, I had know. to learn that as a child <laughs> watching this movie. I was like, wow, I don't know when I'm ever going to be in love, but that can be rough, huh? Yeah. It really, really makes you think. Uh-huh. <laughs> I also like the moment later where Arthur's sadly holding a broken broom and just sitting on the floor and Valerie commented that that's his Cinderella moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of just like, oh, he's he's reached his low. Yeah. Um, then, of course, of course, we have Mim. Oh, my gosh. Mad, I love Marvelous Mad so Madam Mim. Oh, um, my gosh. She absolutely revels in being ugly, and I love that for her. And she knows. She's so cute. She's like, I could definitely look super conventionally hot. I am not interested in that. I love (laughs) looking like this. And and I I I could be uglier even sometimes, and that's fun for me. And I just love that for her. (laughs) That she's just like, this is my this is my ideal form. Yeah. This is what my peak performance looks like. (laughs) Yes, yes. And and then too is I love like her. She she enjoys being evil, but she's just not like sitting around like exuding evil. No, she's, she's like, like playing, playing cards. cards. She's playing cards. But I love when she realizes she's like, well, if you're important to Merlin, then I'm just gonna have to. <laughs> she, sorry, she's I'm like, have so, to destroy. She's you. like, so my boy, I'm afraid I've got to destroy. You. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna have to destroy you because that means you're important, you're good, or something. Yeah. So I'm gonna get have to get rid of you. And then of course the <laughs> wizard battle is also great and oh iconic. Yeah, uh, all so the designs great. we can talk more about them, but those they're great. Oh, um, and there's the, just the back and forth and the timing of the scene and, and the creativeness of it. It's very. It's very fun. I think that and the squirrel part are like the most iconic parts for for my brain, at least. Mm-hmm. There, that's what I remember the most. Um, so yeah. great, and and again, Mim. I mean, she just cheats from the beginning. Yeah, hundred percent. She's just she sets all the rules. One of them being not getting turning invisible, and she, and she immediately, immediately turns invisible. Yeah, she turns back visible fairly quick. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit of a surprise attack. <laughs> yeah, like. The whole film is plot light. Like, yes. if you're not trying to go to things, get a thing, do things. It's experiences that Merlin, not concocts, but like, you know, gets uh, Arthur into. Uh, and they're all very characterful for the most part. And I think that's kind of why it's more of a vibe. Because it's like, things happen, but... The the overall goal is to, like, make Arthur more well-rounded to prepare him yeah. for something. Merlin doesn't know. He's like, I'm going to meet this kid. That means that he's going to mean something. That means that, like, I've just got to be there for him and try to, try to uh, guide his growth. Yeah. So, I can't, I guess, I, are there other films that we've seen like that? Um, I mean, to? I mean, honestly... To me, in a lot of ways, this is this Disney film is one of the closest to Studio Ghibli's vibe. Um, like, obviously, it doesn't quite reach like a, la- a layer of artistry and, right. and and serenity that that Ghibli can achieve, but like, this is closer to Totoro than it is to like 
uh, Aladdin or Beauty and the Beast or whatever. Like it's not it's it's more about the experience that he has than it is about a plot moving forward. And and so yeah, it's it's just it's vibes. It's just like a kind of calm despite some of the moments of chaos, like you're never that worried about anything. Like, I don't know. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't have, you know, my neighbor Toto obviously has a lot of, of calm, serene stuff, but it also has some really uh, important themes that are core to it. And it has kind of this more dire, like worrisome stuff towards the end. But this never really has that. Like the most that you kind of have is, Merlin's anger over the whole uh, Arthur becoming a squire thing, like, yeah. feels maybe a little overblown. <laughs> yeah, that, like, I'd agree that that it, it felt like it needed to be worked up to more. I guess more of this kind of like Arthur bringing up being a squire and him pushing back like harsher and harsher as it goes on. It does. It just didn't feel like it came up enough and it was like enough of a point of like uh, anger for Merlin to like have that scene happen the way it did. Yeah, I think. If there were more conflict throughout the movie of that back and forth. Yeah. Of like, oh, what you're doing is really cool, but I really do want this. Yeah. Like, I'm either late or I have to leave early from such and such lesson. Yeah. Or, uh, like, I guess the closest that they got was the the conflict with the dishwashing. Where he's like, I gotta wash dishes. Merlin automates that. Yeah. And then there's uh, some conflict with Sir... Sir actor when he discovers that this is what it like this is what's happening and it's like no he should be doing this versus it getting done yeah um maybe also if they'd had something like merlin wanted they were going to over the series of a week or summer or, or what i don't know if it was winter break that they were going to be going on some adventure that merlin wanted to teach him some more lessons and then he makes the choice, no, I'm going to be a squire instead. Yeah. Then that would have made more sense that him getting yeah. so angry, like, as why it is, are you it throwing just, this away? It feels like a thing that just falls into his lap, and then he excitedly wants to tell the person that he seems closest to, and that person's like, no, that's terrible and bad, and I'm mad at you. Yeah. It, it, like, it just doesn't work as well as it. I think it could have. Also, the whole Hobbes thing is hilarious to me because it's a character that's mentioned like two or three times and never, never seen. I know. You never I know, see Hobbs. Yeah. They just like become the squire off screen and then get sick off screen. And it's like, <laughs> well, someone else has to be the squire now. So yeah. <laughs> it's stupid, but yeah. I, it is funny in that way. Um, yeah. I, I, you can keep the Hobbs stuff the same. I just think the build up to Arthur, to Merlin getting mad at Arthur needs, needs more. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, like the overall, we were talking about like the vibes of it and like, yeah, it, it feels different than a lot of Disney movies. For for better and worse, it feels less connected, less like... Structured? Yeah, less structured. Um, but that can be fun. Yeah, no. It it doesn't ruin it. It's no. just some peculiarities of the film. And that stuff that makes it different than, you know, the overall catalog. Definitely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so... I. It was, I think the the point is they could have, they just needed to etch out and eke out a little bit more story and take a little bit more time because it was not a long film. So yeah. they could have, you know, even spent another five, ten minutes, you know, to again, build some, some background into that transition of Merlin getting mad and even that, that beginning scene with, um, with Kay and Arthur. 
It's hard not to say wart sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't like that. I hated that for oh, the yeah, I mean, so yeah, I, I mean, I it's obviously a rude it. name that they gave him. Yeah, it was sad that Merlin would also call him that. I know. I, I know. I know. Did was was Merlin told his actual name early yeah, on? Yeah, I forgot. He's like, like my name is Arthur, but people call me Wart. He's like, all right, Wart. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right. yeah. I was like, no, don't call him that. It's like, it's like, no, people like call it me, call me that, and I don't like it. It's I like, oh, I thought you, it. I thought you meant that, like that's your nickname. Uh, I don't think he doesn't like it. I guess he doesn't like it, yeah. think that much about it. He's not a smart lad, at well, least not at first. Not just that. I think he's like feels indebted yeah definitely he does it's not a part of that he's like i've got to to do what i can to uh earn my keep essentially to either like uh, show that this is why i belong here or like as a thanks to you know taking me in yeah yeah so it's like yeah call me whatever (laughs) like yeah i'm still here yeah he's just such a good kid he really is do you guys want to talk a little bit about the voice acting? Sure. Oh, yeah. All right. So I got I got some fun notes here. Uh, for Merlin, uh, he's voiced by Carl Swenson. And uh, uh, Wolfgang Reitherman, the director, uh, estimated that about 70 actors read for the part of Merlin, mm-hmm. but none uh, evidenced that note of eccentricity that we were seeking. We wanted Merlin to be eccentric, but not hokey. Uh, uh, Swenson initially read for Archimedes, but the filmmakers eventually decided to cast him as Merlin. And I, I think he does a great job. Yeah, he definitely he has that note of eccentricity. I think definitely. Yes. yes. Uh, Archimedes, meanwhile, is voiced by Junius Matthews, who we have heard before because he's the original voice of Rabbit and Winnie the Pooh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Sir Ector, meanwhile, who is also the narrator that you briefly hear, mm. um, is Sebastian Cabot, who was also the original narrator of those Winnie the Pooh shorts oh. and played Bagheera in the Jungle Book. Cool. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Martha Wentworth uh, voices Mad Madam Mim and also amusingly voices the Granny Squirrel. Uh, oh, I just okay. think that's fun. Okay. The Wolf is voiced by James McDonald, who was the second voice of Mickey Mouse after Walt Disney and the original voice of Chip from Chip of Chip and Dale. Oh, so. okay. Ooh. Okay. So I have a, a question about Granny Squirrel. Sure. Um, given what Merlin said, uh-huh. that squirrels, like when she, when a girl squirrel chooses a mate, like it's their mate for life or whatever. Uh-huh. Is, did Granny, is Granny Squirrel uh, a widow or spinster until she's like that one. Yeah. Oh. She's, she's okay, like, like I've never seen a squirrel that sexy. <laughs> I don't know what it is with its but with his bushy face and whatever those weird things on his eyes are. But I love that. That's working for me. What did you guys think about Arthur's voice acting throughout the movie? Um. What one thing that was just overall was like when the uh, after Merlin packed up. The, I can see what they were trying to do with the sound, sounding like in an empty room. I think that could have been done better. Uh, I think Arthur was inconsistent. In what way? Uh, like, either uh, the maybe like there's like a little gravel in his voice or something. Is he like two different people? 
Uh, no, he's three different people. Three oh, different people. Oh my god. Uh, so Ricky Sorensen uh, was the original intended voice actor, but he entered puberty during the film's production, forcing director Wolfgang Reitherman to cast two of his sons, Richard and Robert, to replace him. This resulted in Arthur's voice notably changing between scenes and sometimes within the same scene. The three voices also portray Arthur with an American accent, sharply contrasting with the English setting and the sure. accent spoken by most of the other characters. But yeah, 100%, he's three different people. That's funny. Oh, wow. And I can't tell a huge difference, I think, between the brothers, but I could, th- you can tell. You can tell that the voice changes sometimes, especially huh. me knowing that. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. you really do notice the changing voice sometimes. <laughs> uh, the, and for instance, there was a part where he was like, help Merlin with one voice actor, and then, like, very shortly after it, a help from a, like, obviously different voice actor just like the pitch is higher and just different she doesn't have that kind of because I, I think the brothers have more of that kind of raspy thing going on i like on. the raspy thing i think out of out of that yeah but no he's a hundred percent like three different people <laughs> oh wow well you know it's funny i i never could quite put my finger on it i just you know because i overall he sounded youthfully sounded young I think, but i think I picking just... the eight i think the age that he's at you like give him kind of this benefit of like you're probably going through puberty yeah, and your voice so is all over the place. I think about it, yeah. But but knowing it's yeah, it's definitely there and That's it can funny. be distracting and it is a thing that critics were like maybe you should have just chosen one. Maybe you should have redone the parts the old person did and had one of your sons do it. Yeah. But, you know, the choice was made. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> um, let's talk some about the animation. So this film continued the Xerox method of photocopying drawings onto animation cells that had been used in 101 Dalmatians. An additional animation technique, touch-up, was created during production to to replace the cleanup process. The cleanup process had required assistant animators to transfer the directing animator sketches onto new sheets of paper, which were then copied onto the animation cells. To do a touch-up, the assistants would instead draw directly on the animator sketches. This streamlined the process, but it also caused assistants of directing animator Milk Call to fear that they would ruin his work. Uh, which, yeah, like, fair. You don't, you don't have a... You're not making a copy, you're just directly drawing on the thing. But yeah, that's it has that really sketchy look that is, um, you know, part of what the Xerox method looks like. You see it in 101 Dalmatians, Rescuers, that's much later. Like, they're, they're all kind of using that rough, sketchy look that Xerox has. So yeah, as far as animation stuff in the movie, uh, Merlin's animation's really expressive and fun. Uh, love it. Just all the time. They, they clearly have a lot of fun with him. I think Arthur had some really funny faces uh, when he first met uh, Merlin and is being told, like, yeah, I'm a wizard. I can see the future. And he's just like, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> the chaos uh, during Merlin's uh, packing song, Higgitus Figgitus, uh, is delightfully animated. Just all the stuff all over. It just kind of picks up as it goes. And towards the end, everything's just swishing this way and that. And it's it's pandemonium, but it's very it's very fun. Uh, I loved Poofball Face Merlin when he like pulled the the wand or whatever out of his beard and it. Yes. Um, I love I love Merlin's classic pink boxer shorts. Yes. Very very classy choice. Yes. Yes. 
and skinny legs. I love yes. I love everyone's skinny legs and little little Arthur was just a little stick, but yes. it's so cute. There was another really good poof later with Archimedes. Yes. His poof, his, he's poofed up because he was drying himself off. I would love a plush of him like that. Yes. Specifically poof version of him. Yes. Agreed. There's a, a certain outfit that Merlin is in at the end of the movie that I think is also iconic. That's a perfect good <laughs> look. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like that that's that sticks in your head. Oh, also when Merlin uh entered Mim's hut uh initially to like save uh Wart, his uh the the colors of his swirly magic were the trans flag colors, which is obviously not on purpose, but I was just amused. It was oh, like a, a light blue, a pink and a white. And I was like, "Hello." Okay. <laughs> um but I also want to talk about how messy it is. And I don't just mean like the intended messy of like what the Xerox looks like. There's a lot of kind of issues throughout this, such as reused animation happens a lot. The animation of Kay eating meat uh, while they're mm-hmm. having this conversation in the dining hall is reused like literally three or four times. Like I think it's basically the same animation maybe they move his lips slightly differently to hit like what he's saying but like he's just doing the same thing constantly uh merlin smoothing back his hair and checking his watch when he's in the tower is the same as him smoothing his hair and checking his watch back in his hut there's arthur falling down the stairs happens early on and then happens later and it's like exactly the same shot yes with the dishes falling around him i don't even know if they recolored the dishes or anything no i think those two are like literally exactly same shot not even different background like merlin's hair and watch thing Uh, it would have been nice for that to change slightly to show i know right some sort of character development of like maybe he trips but doesn't drop stuff or he manages but nope yeah (laughs) uh and then Kay trying to hit arthur with a stick uh towards the end is the same animation as him trying to hit him with a stick in the beginning but they like but they like colored yeah with with the bow situation but they they like recolor they like redo his his clothes and stuff because it's a different situation but like the same animation including arthur running away yeah. just a lot of reuse um and then sometimes there's like straight up errors what of the funniest of which i think for me was when uh pelinor arrived and entered um and would started taking off his gloves he did it twice oh. <laughs> he took off his gloves as he was approaching the table in one shot and then as he was sitting down he was taking off his gloves <laughs> After he'd already completely gotten them off. Uh, And that's just, that's just funny. I kind of like that as like, you know, sometimes in films, a take is good. Yeah. But they're redoing some more innocuous action and they're just like, we're just going to use it. Or they don't catch it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, There's also at one point, uh, they transition to a scene where uh, Merlin and Arthur are like walking along the water and like, you can clearly see that Merlin's talking and his mouth is, like, moving, but you don't hear anything. And then suddenly you do start hearing them. And, like, mm. I felt like it was, like, if they had, like, I think faded in on them talking, I think it would have worked okay. Because uh, it was like, okay, the music's playing and, like, okay, yeah, they're talking. It doesn't matter about what. But the the audio just, like, comes in, like, suddenly. So it feels more like an error than a purposeful thing it feels more it feels more like a cut that was like not the original intended cut than it feels like a purposeful choice for that one though i i think that was one of the bigger i don't know one one of the big vibe scenes i really liked the 
watching them through the reflection in the yes. water. Yeah. Like, I think whatever errors, like, don't ruin the film, but it might just be reflective of, I don't know, a more sloppy process. I don't know how, if they just wanted to get this out. Um, I, I mean, we, one of the um, extras that we saw on Disney Plus shows that the original conceptions for the story were more were actually more focused on having a villain and like plot progression um in terms of like it starts with mad madame mim who looks totally different like actively taking moves to try to have evil plans and stuff that's kind of where stuff happens she has like an evil like crow or something that does stuff for her and i th- it just it feels like they got some amount of link through some earlier things and then we're like actually we're gonna change that and just the seams show sometimes it feels like i am ultimately very glad like it would could have been interesting to see that version of mem but i'm very glad that we got the version that we got uh, she's just very she's animated so fun she's moving around like constantly and just uh, flapping her hands and doing little dances and jumping up and down, flying all over. She can make herself big and little. Uh, I loved the animal versions of her and Merlin. Yes. They were just so like, you could always tell who was who both because of their color scheme, but also like their it design. would, it would have like their face, like her hair and his mustache and glasses and stuff like that. Uh, just really fun. It's yeah. I don't know. The animation's fun. It definitely has some errors and can be rough around the edges and reuses stuff a lot. Um, it reuses stuff within itself. That's not even getting to uh, some of the Disney movies that just literally retrace animation from other movies, which might be in this, but I didn't notice it offhand. Um, I wish there had been a progression when uh, Merlin did the dishes and swept the floor for Arthur and they went out to, to become, I think, birds... Maybe or maybe that's when they became squirrels. Anyway, but then when the um, Sir Ector and all of them came came in and, and disrupted it, there no, there'd been no progression. I mean, like you still see the same amount of dishes in the background. You still see the floor, and obviously it was the same animation. And I just I wish there had been some progression because there's a really cool uh, assembly line and system yeah, yeah. that he had set up. So there would have been a lot of progression in the time that they were gone. But you know, anywho, but yeah, yeah they just reused like a, that a bit of homage to Disney, the apprentice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Magician the apprentice. Oh, Mi- oh Mickey yeah, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I can and see that. Sid or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. I absolutely love the character's designs. Absolutely. Of course, I loved Merlin, but I also really loved Arthur's. I loved, loved, loved Madame Mims. I loved um, the the squirrels and even him, even Arthur as a little bird, and then the, even them as fish. You know, yeah. yeah, just really, really great character designs. Yeah. Oh, and of course, sorry, Archimedes. Oh, I oh, loved yeah. Archimedes. Little angry puffball. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, yeah with the the squirrel. I think that's part of what made made it so impactful was how good they captured this like confusion and sadness yeah she's got little tears (laughs) her little cries like yes she was being way too forward but also she's a little squirrel i know you know circle of life baby (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's that's could be the argument right it's just like the different conceptions as a person and as an animal yeah yeah Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Was, yeah, that was such a, 
iconic scene. It, it really is. It sticks with you. Um, what would this movie be like if it were in live action? And also, um, that's maybe happening. There's like two Wikipedia notes about live action movies being made. <laughs> One that references an actual like remake that was announced like a decade ago so who knows what's happening with that That and then a newer one that seems to be more directly like based on the once and future king series by disney or something else no i think like but like well yeah like disney is making that also yeah Yeah, so i don't know which of those is happening and to what extent but at some point something is gonna exist whether or not it's whether or not it's focused on taking the shape of this or not um, but what do you think that would be like? I, as far as if, unless you tell a different story, but I, I don't, I don't see how you're going to capture this little story well, because the biggest part of it were, were the animal transformations, you know, when he became a fish, when he became a squirrel, when he became a bird, and then the great wizard duel between Merlin and uh, Madame Mim. So, I mean, I just... There's no way you're going to capture the little forlorn squirrel as, as he mean, leaves, brokenhearted as well. I don't think in live animation because it would have. To I be mean, some they'll be if they if they ACG. go for if they go for a more directly just adapting this. Then yeah, I mean it's fully just going to be CG fish and a CG squirrel, and they're going to look as realistic as possible, mm. but still move their mouths like humans, and it'll look. It'll look like what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I actually expect will happen. Especially if they're going more for the novels, which they'll, I, those probably have more plot. Um, but if, if they go, f- if they're, if they actually do more of an adaptation of specifically this kind of version or whatever, I still think they're probably going to actually lean more towards their original versions and have like Madame Mim yeah. be more of a villain and like more of a plot thread throughout instead of these kind of slice of life vignettes almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. They would do like Disney Disney TM remake and change the things that are perceived to be. Oh yeah, the squirrel scene is either not there or drastically different. Yeah, I I feel like the they squirrel's got to respect. <laughs> squirrel girl's got to respect his bodily autonomy because that's a thing that people have said on the internet was bad. Yeah, I feel like they would want to put the squirrel scene in there just to be able to address it. Yeah, exactly right. But or or some some sort of nod to it, right? Uh, I, I also think, yes, they would do more plot. So it would be plot focused versus these kind of uh, scenes or experiences. Do you think they'd go, do you think they'd soften Sir Ector or lean more on him being bad? And maybe even to the extent of like partnering with Mim at some point, I, which way do you think they'd go? I don't think he'd partner with Mim. Maybe, um, maybe even not. But like, maybe Kay would. Maybe they'd make Kay ooh, more overtly bad. Yeah, yeah. Instead mm. of just really stupid just and a, a jerk. Because, <laughs> yeah, I that sort of betrayal thing, I can feel like it Yeah, being, yeah. Yeah, oh, I could definitely see uh, Madame Mim not saying betray Arthur directly, but promising the king the crown to Kay. Yeah. For her ends. And, and he's dumb enough to, like, do a thing without... Seeing I, the consequences. I hope that when they do the wizard duel, because they would, they'll definitely do the wizard duel. They got to. Um, I hope that they don't just copy what this one does and they kind of come up with their own 
their own, their own transformations. And it's going to be like a gloopy CGI mess, but like if they, I hope they have fun with it as much as possible, mm-hmm. you know, do kind of your own back and forth and don't maybe have one or two of the same things. I mean, you're probably going to have the same end and that's fine. But along the way, I think you should, should take some, some liberties with it and do some different animals. Just have some fun. Yeah. I definitely don't think it'll have the the same fu- just lighthearted vibe. I feel like it's going to be I don't want to I, I think it I feel like it would be darker and I don't necessarily mean like you know dark grim but just like it's going to have more of a focus on realism probably Higher focus space. a little more on his sad home situation yes. and then yeah like just the the stakes will be higher I think. That's one thing that I thought was interesting with the uh extras that we watched talking about the initial one was the king died and his son was lost so like the story-wise the difference being like within 10 15 years is where they'd have to find arthur or you know 10 to 20 uh versus this one where it's like the king died and it sounded like for hundred years or something yeah it sounded like a long time like over a longer period of time has this country or whatever been without a ruler yeah and that to me that we didn't see it but that would definitely have been a more interesting thought of like really to how focus on the lawlessness of it that it says is there but you don't really see right exactly yeah um versus like if it's within 10 20 years like i mean things can probably go bad but you're not there is a gener- generations that remember what it was like before when it's over 100 to 200 years, it feels like, yeah, like like things get lost. Yeah, definitely. But you, you didn't see a ton of that, so I'd definitely be curious about it. Let's talk some about sound design. We can talk about sound design, but also I'm talking about music, which is uh, this was the first animated Disney film to feature songs by the Sherman Brothers, who would uh, then go on to contribute music to Mary Poppins, Jungle Book, Aristocats, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, all sorts of stuff. They mentioned the Tigger movie. They're proud. Yeah. They're proud of that one, and uh, you know they yeah. should be. Yeah, we'll and broomsticks. And now some broomsticks. Yeah, mm. all sorts. They they did a bunch. They're um, like, oh, we were going to use this in Mary Poppins, but we brought it here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. What what you guys think of general sound design and also the songs? I really enjoyed it. I I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I I thought watching the uh, again the extras at the end brought up something that I wasn't thinking about, but talking about how they. If they think that they, with this one, missed the, like, light motifs and, and building it more into the soundtrack of the film. Which mm-hmm. it sounds like they were able to do more with later films. Right, but this being their first one, they uh, lack the idea of it or the credibility to be be in the process of other creators. They made it sound more like that. Right, but, yeah. right. So, so that was interesting uh, because overall, I think the music was fine. I didn't, it didn't stand out to me as, like ruining the mood but i don't i can't think of it as like a big part of setting the mood i don't know like it didn't really stand out yeah the the composer for this one is george bruns who actually did a lot of disney movies um i think his first one was sleeping beauty and then he did 101 dalmatians so i think this is like his third but i I think he gets better as he goes along like i think his his score for Jungle Book. Um, they, they, he, there are light motifs that appear in that one that that's better and stuff. Like he, he does, he does some good work. Um, he's kind of 
kind of there in the late in the very late stuff that Walt Disney was actually around for and into a decent way into the dark age or whatever whatever Disney fans call the era after Walt's gone. Oh, he did he does uh, Robin Hoods too. I, I like that score a lot. Yeah. Um so yeah, he's certainly capable, but I, I think what some of those ones benefit from is having some of those light motifs and they're that's just not so much here. There's the collaboration. also there's also like you basically only find these songs on compilations of other Disney songs. I don't know. Maybe when it first came out, there was a, a release of, of album music, but like there hasn't been since like CDs came into existence in the 90s ever been like a release of all the songs in this just together on a thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, darn. Um, You all, are you talking when you say light, light motif and so forth? That like a connecting thread and how like kind of mood music or even like leading into action, having some different repeat song sounds. It's like specific like melodies and things that you would hear in the music. And and where I first kind of learned this term years years ago was listening to like John Williams music because he does that a ton in Star Wars. There's different light motifs for the the Force theme, mm. um, therefore the main Star Wars theme. Um, there's there's all sorts of different light motifs that he kind of characters as well. Yeah, got for it, characters. Got it, got it, got yeah, full on. Anakin has a theme in Episode One that gets used a little bit, I think, in two. Uh, there's across the the uh, stars, which is the love theme in Episode Two, which you hear a little bit in three. Yeah, he has tons of light motifs, and and he likes to use those. And yeah, they're basically just musical. Cues. Uh, cues that will come up and oh uh, sorry one of the most well-known ones in star wars is of course the imperial march yeah. mm, um you'll hear that throughout empire and that it's obviously it's it's in like literally every star wars movie except for the very first one where it didn't exist there's an imperial motif in that one but it's different than what we're used to um yeah they're they're just kind of ways of because they're often you know unless you're a nerd like me who's sitting there listening to the score for a lot of the times they're not necessarily super at the fore and you kind of feel them more than you hear them the imperial march is one of the most well-known ones because it's kind of a bit of an exception a lot of times when they like transition over to to darth vader and the imperials they'll have like a really loud and like bombastic version of the of that theme play so that's why kind of sticks in people's heads more but a, a lot of them are are often used more uh subtly than that and it'll just kind of weave in and out of the score to represent these characters and themes and stuff like that yeah i would have enjoyed that i wish you know yeah uh i i enjoyed i guess when i say i really i like the music i i did enjoy the songs and so forth but yeah that would have been really nice to have yeah that. i mean it really makes a difference and i'll obviously talk more about that when i eventually deal with the behemoth that is all the jungle book movies but it definitely it pays off there in a way that you know it can't hear by not existing in that my own home the song that appears towards the end of the film that this girl sings it appears way earlier in the actual score that motif Mm -hmm. uh so it can kind of build up to that it's almost like you've heard it a little bit before you even hear it um yeah which is just it's that's not here and that's sad i think the songs here are cute um most of them are pretty slight 
I think this is definitely kind of on the lower end of the Sherman Brothers work, but it's also like their first animated film that they helped work on. Yeah. So that makes sense. <laughs> um, I think they're cute songs. Most of them are are very forgettable, though, I'd say. I think there's kind of one that's kind of the main one anyone remembers, and it is the only one that really deserves to be remembered in that way. <laughs> so some of them are very forgettable. They they range, but I think they're fine. Uh there's a something that you said earlier about sound effects, though, in regards to Madame Mim, I believe. Oh, yeah, no, with Madame Mim, whenever she was singing, there was more, was it like electronic or I don't remember if it was spacey, but she had a difference in her music that I, I think uh, reflected how how weird or mad she is yeah, that I yeah. liked. <laughs> Let's go on to the part that our podcast is named after. How's it hold up? I think the main thing that we need to talk about here is probably the squirrel scene. There's, again, there's a very much like he's a boy, she's a girl thing, especially with stuff that um, Merlin is saying that's kind of like eye-rolly. And there's, we as adults can watch this and fully understand like the difference between a squirrel and a human and kind of be okay with how the girl squirrels act because of that. But I do think there's a decent argument to be made that that's perhaps harder for children to disentangle and might more often lead to children kind of having a warped view of like consent in some way of especially like having if, if the roles were reversed and Arthur was a girl being hounded by a boy squirrel, that'd probably feel a little more uncomfortable. And same with, like, Merlin and that lady squirrel. And, like, yeah, if you change an apple to an orange, it's a different thing. But it's just kind of, it's a little bit icky. It is it is funny, like, in the ways that they have kind of their back and forth and just kind of the absurdity of it. But it is, it's funny in the way that Pepe Le Pew can be funny. Like, yeah, you can have good timing and just ridiculous things happening. But at the end of the day, like the actual core conceit here is kind of like a little unpalatable. Not as unpalatable as Pepe Le Pew, because that is a guy chasing a girl all the time. But uh, yeah, it's just, I don't fault people for having issues with this scene, is I guess what I would say. Yeah, I for the beginning, I mean, I... And I think they did that a little bit with the scene where he was a fish, the kind of miscommunication because he is not this animal. He is a human turned into this animal and, and he's learning kind of what's up. So like the, in when he turns into a fish, there's this frog that's kind of following him around yeah. that he's just thinks, I think he thinks this is a, a funny, a funny fish or something. And I think it's interesting in contrast with, the squirrel, when there's trouble, the frog is like hides and like if all every creature for himself kind of thing. But with the squirrel, she uh she like tries to save him and does. Uh but in the beginning with the squirrel, I liked the kind of back and forth of he does a thing and she just doesn't understand and thinks it's flirting. Yeah. And but how that that kind of is portrayed as like he is, you know, pushing her, like has his hand on her face. And then she puts 
his her hand on his face and and then she like puts his hand back on her face or he like pushes her away a little bit and then she like runs up and knocks him down <laughs> yes yes so i like those aspects but i can definitely yeah. see what you're saying of that kind of and I think where it gets its most fraught is not even that Squirrel Girl, but the other one, because that's also, it feels like it's quite purposeful that she is an obviously thicker squirrel, Yeah, is I guess what I'll say. It, it very much feels like the trope of a woman that's considered unattractive mainly because she's fat flirting with a guy and him being disgusted by it. There are certainly worse instances of that, such as uh, Sleepy Hollow that that we saw with uh, the lady who wants to dance with, with oh, them or yeah. whatever. I, I don't think this is as bad as that, but like it's an element here, certainly. And I, I think with that in, in particular, there is uh, some conflation of what older women look like or older yes. like character designs for women who are older. Yeah. You, how many like kind of skinny older women background characters are you seeing? Yeah. Uh, like, you know, Cinderella's stepmother is not, but like the, uh, the frumpy is a, certainly a common yes. motif to go with for older women in Disney things exactly. and other things. But yeah. Like, yeah. So I think that a bit of conflation, which there. given there's like Four women in this, and three of them are frumpy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mad Mad and Men revels in that, which good for her, but like, yeah, it's definitely a thing. Yeah, I think that's kind of the default. This is the, this is an old lady. Yeah. And if, you know, if she's Granny Squirrel, or like, if she is, a, yeah, if she's an older squirrel, like, I can see how that's how they would dif- differentiate it. Yeah. Also, the Mad Mad and Men thing where she turns really skinny is awkward. Her boobs are just so big, too. Huge. Which is especially accentuated by the fact that her waist is practically non-existent, more so than, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of other Disney women. Yeah. Um, But it also does have the context of her, like, literally turning into an exaggerated, like, attractive version of herself or whatever and being like, hey, I could totally do this, but nah. (laughs) She's like, this isn't who I am at heart. It's also not who I want to (laughs) be. I want to be an, an ugly old lady, which, you know, you can have debates about if she's actually ugly, but she refers to herself that way and likes that and good for her. I'm very happy for Madame Mim. There's also a few references that, that Merlin makes to colonialism and a few other oh, yeah. things that are, are a bit problematic. Yeah, he definitely like, uh, there's a globe that like has a thing about, Undiscovered, the undiscovered, or new world, the un- new world that's like uh, gets discovered oh. in fourteen eighteen or something 1492. like that. Yeah, fourteen ninety two, and I'm like, uh huh, yeah, it wasn't discovered. People live there, but yeah, <laughs> there's another reference similar to that. Archimedes later too. talks about where Bermuda is. Uh, yeah. near. I don't think he said Florida. I forget in the. Yeah, kind of gave a location and it was an undiscovered island or something yeah 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 and it's like I mean people live there so literally people are there yeah Uh, so you know but that's it's pretty par for the course but it's definitely a thing right And, and I think there could not an argument but like you you guys don't know about it until this time or something right. rather than like discovered. Yeah, yeah. Um It's like like they maybe you don't have to say a name, but like a ship from wherever, like first 
like recorded setting foot at this time. What? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Anything else with this section? Let's go on to our spoiler alert. Skip to one hour, three minutes, and forty-five seconds. So not a whole lot at the end. Um, there they go to London or whatever um, to have like joust stuff. And the, yeah, I mean the competition is for who will be crowned the next king. Right, right. And then uh Wart uh or Arthur forgets uh Kay's sword, which you know, then Kay tries to hit him. Uh so he runs off to go find the sword. He can't get into where the sword is. Because everyone's at the tournament. Right. Uh but then he sees a sword sticking out of a stone. Yeah. And, and Archimedes is like, you should probably just not touch that, but he's like, Look, I gotta get a sword, okay? No, so, Archimedes first pointed it out. Later he criticized him for doing it, but he's like hey, there's a sword over here. Well, I think when he started running towards it, he was mm. like, don't, don't do that though. Mm. Um, but anyways, he obviously pulls the sword out and then he goes back and everyone like looks at the sword and is like, uh, that's the sword in the stone. Where did you get that? And he's like, well, I just, I just like pulled it out of there and they're like, BS. And so they go back, put it back in the, in the stone before Arthur can touch it again. Then Kay's like, if it's already been taken out, I'm sure it comes out easily now, but you know, he tries and he can't get it out. And then of course Arthur gets it out. So he gets to be king or whatever. Um, and then the final scene is like him just in the throne room, <laughs> completely alone except for Archimedes. Right. And, and he's like, I don't know if I like this and maybe I'm going to run away. But then he like tries two different doors and there's just people outside constantly yelling long live the king or whatever. <laughs> so like that's not going to work out. And so he calls for uh, Merlin. I think that's no, it's an earlier one where it's the clearly two different voices. But anyways, he calls for Merlin and Merlin comes back. He's got his iconic uh, summer fun outfit yeah. uh, with his, his shorts and his sunglasses and his hat and everything. <laughs> he looks ridiculous and it's perfect. Um, but he comes back and I don't know, they talk a little bit and the movie ends. It's kind of like really kind of, yeah. it just kind of ends. It's like, and you know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Basically, yeah. Merlin telling the future, you're going to be a great king. Right. Right. No, he, he, Merlin's the one, the idea for the round table. Yeah. yeah. Which is um, Whatever. just a very uh, silly, mm, I guess, nitpick that I have with that kind of like, oh, you know, this steam engine will be invented here, but here's the little model that I made. So right. if anybody discovers this, they would be like, oh, this existed way before the time that it was actually invented. Yeah. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. But but yes. To be a total nerd. Merlin suggests a round table. <laughs> um, did you have a note on Kay and like kind of his characterization with the, some of that final stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean... Uh, at the end when, before the castle scene, when Arthur, you know, takes the sword out of the stone in front of everyone, I think they, I mean, they had Kay make a face, or not a, like a bad face, but he looked, at first he looked like his kind of, you know, incredulous, like grumpy face, but then it kind of softens to something that I interpret as remorse, but I don't know if that's what you guys interpreted it as. I don't know. I think he's probably going through a lot of emotions there of like, wow, this is really happening. Was it bad that I was like so mean to him constantly? I don't know if I personally read remorse into it, but I think he's certainly maybe starting to feel regret. Yeah, yeah. And we're in, maybe regret. And, and like maybe a, is this going to come back to bite me actually? <laughs> 
he's not a smart man, but he's I, he's, I think he's his mind is going places, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The ending's very kind of slight and rushed, is right. I guess what I'll say. Again, plot light. Like, yeah. the... the the thing that most stands out is the stuff in the middle where he's yeah. having these experiences. You remember the squirrel girl, you remember Madame Mim, but then after Madame Mim, it kind of just like sprints to the end. Right. And it's like, oh, hey, I'm really mad at you because you became a squire. Goodbye forever. Oh, hey, we're here. Hey, look, this sword, pull it out. Oh, I guess I'm king now. Merlin's back. Hi, movie's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Because yeah, these experiences, I, I think even the like, the reasons for the experiences to gain knowledge is, I don't know, maybe not communicated as well. And it oh. feels like it should have like the lessons he learned should have built into how the plot resolved, but they kind of don't at all. Right, right. He just sees a sword, randomly decides to pull it because he can't find the other sword. And then everyone else sees him do it again a second. Like, he doesn't really use wits or cunning or smarts to do anything. Yeah, It's just like he learns stuff that'll eventually make him the fabled King Arthur. But, like... Yeah, it's like... Doesn't do a lot for this story I, now. I forget what the kind of first lesson would be. The second one being, like, love, man. <laughs> and the third one, uh, I think, was uh, basically, like, using your wits. Like, using your smarts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with Madame Mim. And like, yeah. Like none of it comes back at all. Like he just pulls a sword out of a stone. Not even on purpose. Right. And then the the time where he pulls it out, like somebody else has to be like, you know, let let the boy do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, it's a fine enough ending, but it just really like, it, it feels so disconnected from what came before because none of what came before really influences it in, yeah. any, in any way. Like, if Merlin had never shown up, he still could have done the exact same thing. He still could have, like, done decent enough that they decided to make him squire. He goes there, he forgets the sword, and so he pulls a different sword out. Like, literally the same things could have happened. It doesn't feel like Merlin impacts the course of events at all with that. No, that's a good point. Which is, like, that feels like weak writing. <laughs> that feels like you kind of missed some opportunities here. It, it makes the film feel even more slight than maybe it should, frankly. Like, I love the vibes, but I wish the vibes had contributed to something. But they kind of don't. They're just, like, the better parts of the movie, but they don't help resolve the movie in any way. Yeah, I think... Character-wise, you don't see a growth in Arthur. He's still... Like, he's a good kid... With a lot of heart, and that continues forward. Yeah. Uh, and but also he doesn't affect others really. Like not really. Kay doesn't. He makes change. Merlin mad at one point. Director <laughs> doesn't really change. Yeah. So Archimedes doesn't change really. Yeah. Like he likes him more as the film goes on, but like. So yeah, I guess the film is kind of just an experience it, rather yeah. than like seeing. Like an ebb and flow of a or story. Or a character arc, even. Yeah. Yeah. They're just life vignettes for us, too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Love, man. <laughs> Love, man. Anything else with spoilers? No more spoilers. Let's go on to our favorites and least favorites. What was your least favorite scene in the movie? I would say Kay eating food. <laughs> <laughs> Anything really with K and yeah, not a, not a huge K fan. No, not a huge K fan, but especially him. But he's food. so endearing. 
He's worse than Gaston. I enjoy I enjoy his animation. That's what I enjoy most about him. I feel like they have fun with his stupid scrunched up face. Yeah. Uh, I think I'll go with the... Uh, yeah, I don't know. The, not, a, not a ton happens, so like least is, is kind of arbitrary for me. Uh, but I'll just go with the, the, when the dishes are, when that magic stuff is discovered, like mm. that second part, it feels like something could have happened with that, but Merlin doesn't get kicked out. Uh, n- nothing really happens. Yeah. Because of that. I think my least favorite is literally the last scene, like where he's just like, it just feels so weird and uncanny. He's just alone with a bird in, <laughs> in this giant hall in oversized clothes with people chanting outside when he opens the door and it just feels weird and then he's like merlin help me and merlin comes and he's like "Eh, it's gonna be chill and that's the end and it's just like (laughs) but not really not really right like it's just like merlin's outfit's iconic that's the best part of the scene clearly but like what happens it's just if nothing. It's a lot of nothing. The film kind of peters out. The I film kind of just finishes. It's like, oh, they're all back together now. Bye. It's over. It's done. It, and you know what happens. What was your favorite scene? Wizard battle. Yeah. Madame Mim. Like, just... Madame Mim in general, but I, the wizard battle's iconic. That's just... That's good stuff. Really fun animation. Just a fun plot line of their back and forth. It's I'll, good. I'll say the, the whole thing. Like, with her song... Her being like, gotta destroy a kid. Yeah. Sorry. It's like, oh, I realized that, like, the position you're in is actually, like, I kind of have to get rid of you. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Not, I'm not actually sorry. I don't know why I said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I agree. I absolutely agree. I loved that. And, yeah. And I also, of course, loved uh, Merlin packing up his suitcase you know, but, oh, yeah. but the overall with, with the wizard battle, gotta go, gotta go with that. Who was your least favorite character in the movie? Kay. <laughs> Kay, don't like him. Yeah, I'll agree. Yeah, I mean, I think it's Kay. I think you're meant to not like him, and we don't. Good job. <laughs> but yeah, but also, like, there's nothing interesting about him. Yeah. No, he's just a really dull bully. Yeah. And he's not even that much of a bully. He's just, because he doesn't, like, do a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh my gosh, I wonder if they will do. And, like, a live action, any more exploration of, like, I'm this guy's son, but he brought in this kid, and, like, I'm jealous for some reason. I don't right. know. We'll there's see. Nothing, there's nothing like that in there. No, no. If they do, uh, whenever something actually does come out, we might end up covering it on this. Dep- I think depending on how much it is, like, actually a remake of this versus just a thing of the books. Sure. Uh, I mean, we'll probably watch it, but whether or not we'll record about it. We'll see. Um, who was your favorite character in the movie? Oh, I, 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 of course, I absolutely loved Madame Mim, but I'm just going to have to go with Merlin. I really, really also liked Arthur, but, but Merlin was just so great. So, so chaotic. So, oh, I just loved him. Um, I, I think I'll go with Archimedes just because like is the part where he was like, I was going to eat him. Like, <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, you half round to get a fish. Okay, like his attitude's very funny. Yeah, even even though he's standoffish. Oh yeah, you know, 
He's he's a he's a bro. <laughs> Here's my top five characters. Oh my god, are there only <laughs> <laughs> number number five is Arthur. He's fine. He's a good little boy. He's yeah. He doesn't grow. He's, he's a good boy. He's a good kid. Number four is Archimedes. Okay. Um, I enjoy him, and I think he's good. But also, sometimes he annoys me a little bit. So there's Mim and Merlin. Who's the third? Number three is the Squirrel Girl. Oh, and it's be- okay. And it's because she makes me really sad, yeah. and she also just left an indelible mark on me from when I was a child. Oh, you know what? She's the one that, that is changed by the film. Oh, yeah. Arthur doesn't change. She changes the She'll, changes she'll live girl. with heartbreak forever. Forever. <laughs> forever and ever. Yeah, and then she'll, like, put her face on other, her hands on other squirrels' faces, and they'll be like, what like, is what this? what are you doing? <laughs> and then she'll just go off and cry somewhere. <laughs> Anyways, number two is Merlin. He's great. Uh, he's iconic, and it makes sense that he's the only character from this movie to appear in Kingdom Hearts because, like, it's it's Merlin. He's great. Sure. Um, he's also the one of the ones that appears most in other things. Um, and then Mim number one, more. number one is Mim. <laughs> number one is is Mim. Also, I just realized I forgot to say a fun fact that is involves Mim. What? So let me let me tell you guys. In the Disney comics, Madame Mim was adopted into the Donald Duck universe, where she sometimes teams with Magica Dispel and or the Beagle Boys. Yes. She also appeared in the Mickey Mouse universe, which is a separate universe, where she learned where she teamed with Black Pete on occasion. Ooh. She was in love with Captain Hook in several stories. <laughs> And the comics produced in Denmark or in the Netherlands, she kind of lost her really evil streak and appeared more as like an eccentric, withdrawn and morbid yet relatively polite woman. (laughs) So I just want you to know that Mim has like an extensive comics history in a way that no other character from this movie does. And also like more than like most characters from Disney movies. That's good. Yeah. They just kind of really just like using her. I think she's, I think. I haven't looked this up, but I'm pretty sure she is literally still used to this day in some foreign comics. Oh, wow. All right. Go, ma'am. Go, (laughs) ma'am. But yeah, she's my favorite. She's just like, she enters the movie and I'm just like, ah, this is, this is good. This is good stuff. You've, you've brought this chaotic energy that this movie needed. (laughs) And Um, I just love it at the end. He like gets her sick and then she's like grumpy. She's just grumpy in bed. Like she's one of the few, she doesn't get killed. She doesn't get put in jail. She's just sick and has to get some bed rest for a week or two. And she's just so pissed about it. She's so mad. And then he like willfully makes it worse by like, making sunshine come in because like you need some sunshine saying no i hate sunshine because that's like kind of maybe a good thing and she only likes bad things yeah (laughs) and And he's like well maybe you'll get a sunburn and she's like maybe (laughs) she's like she's like a petulant child who's like a hundred years old and i love that for her Um, and then she's she's this is one big mark against their like uh, rivalry. Oh She's yeah, like, you know somewhere in her in her hut, probably buried under stuff. She knows where's it, where it is, but you'd never find it. Is like a scoreboard where she's just kept track of all of them. Yeah, and then she'll just <laughs> add ticks to hers because she cheats. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, we didn't even mention her. Like part of the rules is like not turning into imaginary stuff. Like uh, like a pink dragon, and then she turns into a purple dragon later. And and he's like, uh, you said no imaginary stuff. She's like, this is a purple dragon. And it's like, okay, but you did lead with a mat. Okay, anyway, she's iconic and she's great and she's my favorite. 
What was your least favorite song in here? Let me remind you of the songs. <laughs> the Sword in the Stone that's sung at the top with the book. Higgitus Figitus, which is, you know, the most iconic song. That's what makes the world go round when they're fishies. A most befuddling thing when they are squirrels. And Mad Madam Mim's song. So what's your least favorite? Uh, I think the first one, Sword in the Stone. How dare you? Uh, cheesy. I like cheesy. I know you do. My least favorite is the most befuddling thing, both because I don't find its tune all that catchy and like the lyrics are just very head and I'm not interested. Oh, God, I don't even think about that. That's <laughs> yeah, funny. Yeah. Yeah, I will second that, the most befuddling thing. I can like corny stuff, babe. I didn't say that you couldn't. Whatever. Anyways, <laughs> what's your favorite song? Higgitus Figgitus. 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 Figgitus Figgitus. Higgitus Figgitus. Higgitus Figgitus. Higgitus Figgitus. You got it. Okay. Uh, got it in one. Good job, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Higgitus Figgitus. It's like the, it's the most catchy. It's the only song that like most people probably vaguely know from this movie. Uh, even if they don't remember the words exactly, they, they just can just say some nonsense to the tune. I, I think it's, I think it's clearly the best one. It's fine. You can choose a different <laughs> one. That's just. I mean, yeah. I don't know. The songs are okay, so the best one is still, you know, not awesome. And which one do you think is the best one? I don't know. It doesn't matter, I think. We'll go with Mad Madam Mim, I guess. All right. Yeah. That was a good one. If Tim Curry were in this movie. Yay, Tim Curry. I think Sir Ector, maybe? That could be Yeah. I think probably that. Um, Maybe Sir Pelinor or whatever. Yeah. Mustache dude, but I mean, he's he's a kind of prim and proper. Honestly, yeah. they're not being a big bad or anything like that. Like there's not obviously something. I think he I him. think he could just have fun being loud if he's Sir Ector. So yeah. I think that one. Well, I was thinking like if 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 there was more plot or like something with this movie, a narrator slash like big character at the end could be a good thing for him. He could be the guy at the end who's like, No, let him try. That guy <laughs> talked that guy talked a handful a of times. Bit. A little bit. He had kind of a deep voice. <laughs> Whatever. Let's go into our overall consensus and what we think of it. Um, it's so it's kind of hard, not hard to say I'd recommend it. Like it was vibes. I enjoyed it overall. But I also acknowledge that uh, maybe as like a, a story as a full thing, it could be a bit underwhelming. But I think un- unlike something like uh the Black Cauldron, where things kind of didn't make sense sometimes. I think even through its weak parts, like, it's still overall just, it's a, it's a fine film. So I'll go ahead and I guess like a light recommendation, and I'll give it a 2.75. Um, I'm going to recommend it. I, I, I'm not even going to say like recommendation. I'm going to recommend it because I think it was, it's really cute. It's It's got a fun, fun, cute vibe. And I think... I think I will give it a 3.25 because I just, it was just really cute. It was fun. I know it's not perfect animation. And the only reason also that I'm not rating it higher than that is because reused animation didn't have a strong plot line. uh, Didn't really have many dynamic characters, if any. Uh, But it was fun. It was a fun, fun, enjoyable. I just, I laughed a lot and I pretty much enjoyed it. Yeah. Start to finish. I'll go ahead and cut down the middle and say three. 
Um, yeah, I... I, You watched it so much when you were younger. I think I'm going to fully acknowledge that that's why I'm giving it a three, because it probably deserves, like, 2.5 or lower. Um, Because it's kind of... It, it kind of like just fully doesn't have a character arc and the ending is just super rushed. There's just, there's, there's a lot of issues with it, but it's kind of just vibes and it like affected me as a kid uh, and I enjoy it. And Mad Mad Mim is iconic. Yes. Mer- Merlin's also pretty iconic. Very true. Just some iconic old guy, old people in this movie. Yay. <laughs> Yay, old people, though. <laughs> you said it, not me. Um, yeah, I I like it. I like it a lot. So I'll give it a I'll give it a three. Um, it's just a fun, cozy movie to watch. I think. Thank you all very much for listening. Thank yes, you. thank you. And please join me any Wednesday at seven p.m. Uh, Central Time or on Twitch where I am streaming right now. I am in my season three where I am streaming uh, Star Wars, the Knights of the Old Republic, but that might be changing. Uh, So stay tuned because I'm just going to kind of experiment about which things are going to be fun to play. I think pretty much what I've discovered is I think it's more fun for the audience and myself when I haven't played a game. (laughs) So I have a lot of surprises, whereas Star Wars, the Old Republic, I have, you know, I've been playing since 2011, even though there's been some gaps. (laughs) I definitely enjoy and know that game so yeah so yeah um so join me any wednesday you're gonna also hear these two wonderful ladies or see them them. uh, read them (laughs) read them uh in my chat and yeah just a great time so please join any wednesday it's nana critter n-a-n-a-c-r-i-t-t-e-r again on twitch and next time we will be watching a movie made by a former Disney alum, mm. uh, good old Don Bluth. Um, is this in his good film era or his bad film area? Uh, <laughs> era. Era. Um, it's in the bad film era. <laughs> and uh, I haven't seen it for a while, but I will not lie, not looking forward to it. I think maybe, I watched this from a bunch from me. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised, um, but next time... We're, we're going to see a movie with a troll in it. I doubt you'll be pleasantly surprised. I doubt, I doubt it, too. Uh, and hopefully we'll have our friend Ryan next time. He was going to join us this time, but ended up being sick. So hopefully you'll feel have... Feel better, Ryan. Yes, feel Love. better. Love you. You'll probably... This is, you'll hear this way after you're already way better, but it's fine. I know. Yes. Uh, really, <laughs> hopefully looking you. forward to having you on next time. Yes. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank Bye. you, Bye. Bye. Love y'all. This has been How's It Hold Up with Danica Juarez and Jan James. You can find our podcast on Twitter at How's It Hold Up Pod. That's with each word capitalized and no apostrophe. Also, if you'd like to support us, we have a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash user question mark U equals 2790566. Every little bit helps, and even with a minimum pledge, you get access to things you won't hear in our main podcast feed. Check it out for more info. The two pieces of music used in this episode were created by Kevin McLeod. You can find both The Curtain Rises and Cool Cats at incomptech.com. That's I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H dot com. Both songs were licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. More info on that can be found at http colon slash slash creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by slash 3.0. Thanks for listening.
I would say any. Oh my god. <laughs> what was. Come here. Shut up. <laughs> Time to change. <laughs>